There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody. Here's a new episode of the podcast. This one is sponsored by Audible, the world's top provider of downloadable audiobooks. And if you'd like to download a free audiobook of your choice from their massive library, then go to audibletrial.com slash teacherluke, or just click an Audible logo on my website. So here's a new episode featuring a conversation with a friend of mine who originally comes from the Netherlands, but he's lived all over the world. And you're going to hear us talking about cultural differences, Dutch stereotypes, doing business in France, the UK and the USA, the different communication styles in those places, doing stand-up comedy and getting Darth Vader's signature. I hope that you enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoyed recording it. And here's the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. What I'm going to do is not an introduction, because normally at the beginning of this sort of thing, There's me saying, hello, welcome to another episode of the podcast. How are you doing? I hope you're well. Uh, and uh, welcome to another episode. And then I do a long rambling introduction. And then the episode starts. And then typically uh, you hear me introducing it again uh, with the guest there. But I'm, I'm just going to skip out the whole first part okay. and just go straight into the introduction now. So welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is one of those episodes where I have a conversation with a friend of mine. And we just kind of ramble on about various things. This is just a chance for you to listen to real English as it actually happens. And with me today, I have Alexander Van Walsam. Hello, Alex. How do you do? That's, very, that's for the audience. For, I figured that was a nice Britishy thing to say. Yeah, very nice. How do, how do you do? Yeah, and they're all saying, hello, how do you do? Because that, that's the response to how do you do, isn't it? It's not because people... Isn't it how do you do what? <laughs> how do you do? How do you, how do, you how, do what? How, how do I do what? How do you drive a car? I had an English friend in in, in Washington D.C. and uh, we went to a place to get some takeout. No, takeaway. Yeah, takeaway. He was he, he knows about what do they call it in, in England? Takeaway. Takeaway. No. Takeaway. Right. And and the lady said, "You want that to go?" <laughs> and he said, "Go where?" <laughs> just, he just didn't know that. He was like, "Go home." Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I just ordered a takeaway. Um, so, hello, Alex. Welcome to the podcast. How, how, does it, how does it feel to be on uh, Luke's English podcast? I think it's my first podcast. Is it your first ever podcast? That I've been on one. Really? Yeah, yeah that I've, I, and I haven't even tried to make one. So yeah, it's my, my first podcast. First podcast. podcast. Right, well, right, welcome right. to the world of podcasting. Thank you. Anyone can do it. Hello, everyone. And the world is going... Like that. That's okay. the sound of the Luke, world. Luke just did that with his mouth. That wasn't even <laughs> that wasn't even a button or something. He just just did something with his mouth. He knows how to work sound the mic. Effect, sound effects. All right. Yeah, that's right. You get the full experience. Um, so I guess my first question for you, Alex, is uh, how do we know each other? We know each other from the uh, huge Paris stand-up scene, where <laughs> the world's greatest comedians who perform in English all perform. Yeah, that's right. It's one of the, the biggest comedy scenes uh, yeah, yeah. in the world. But it's there's something nice about having a, a, a comedy scene in Paris, because if, if you really wanted to get really good at comedy, you'd probably have to go to New York or London and, and, or Los Angeles and, or mm. tour, mm -hmm. try to get on, on nights. And here, there's just not enough people, so we get to go on all the time. That's right, yeah. And once you're done with doing the stand-up, you're in Paris. Right. So you get to be in Paris And always do that stand-up thing you wanted to do. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, we're very lucky. And, uh, and people come. People actually come to see it. Yeah. yeah you got right. some yeah. expats, you know, missing home and that whole thing. And then you got all this whole new generation of French people who see all their TV shows in version originale and suddenly speak English. Right. Compared to that previous generation, those 68 arts, the 68 people who could speak English but didn't want to speak the language of the imperialists kind of thing. How do you, how do you feel the French are with, uh, with English these days then? Do you think they're getting better? At oh, yeah. Since, ever since they were able to 
well, because people sometimes say, wow, you Dutch all speak English really well. Because you're Dutch. Because I'm Dutch, sorry. Yeah, I'm Dutch. And um, well, I'm, a, I'm a different case, but the, even you know, the Dutch who speak English with a bit of an accent, they have since childhood seen all their TV in VO, in, in original whatever language it was in. Yeah, so they'll yeah. see anything in English in, in English and German shows in German. And I think it's just because there's not enough actors to dub everything. <laughs> you, know? Yeah, yeah. you know, it's such a small place. But so, and now in France, you have this whole new generation that just sees, they have the internet, they have Netflix, they have, uh, mm. and be, even before if they had cable, they were able to push a button and see it in its original version. So I think now there's a whole generation of French people that, it's like I always tell, any French people I tell who, who, any, who are reluctant to speak English, I just tell them, listen, you don't have to learn English to speak to the English. Mm-hmm. You can learn it to speak to the Chinese or to yeah, the, yeah. you know, to the Swedes. Yeah. Or to the, that's, that's the language we all use to speak to each other. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's just like this thing that everyone sort of has to have a part of, you know, and that includes different accents and things too, you know, different versions of English. But um, the, the Dutch are, in Europe, very good at English and they seem to be very good at languages, which is quite interesting because you're there, you know, sort of right in the middle of Europe, there's France and Germany and, you know, these other countries. But for some reason, the Dutch have kind of just really nailed languages, in my experience. Who's going to learn Dutch? <laughs> I mean, seriously, no, no one's ever running off to their Dutch lessons, you know? <laughs> I'm not, oh, I'm late for my Dutch class, gotta go. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just, uh, have you heard Dutch? I've heard, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of lots of sounds. Yeah, it sounds like an Arab-speaking German with a throat infection. You know, it's, it's just all it's just every, even just every, it, Everything has a ch in it. And that's why we have these canals in Amsterdam. Because, mm-hmm. you know, so when we talk, we, it's just all spit. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, right, uh, right, right. And it's a small country. There's not a lot of us. There's, uh, there's, there's, we speak Dutch, and then there's some people in South Africa who speak some kind of... Dutch that went off on its own after 1652, yeah. Yeah. I think, 53, that just, they just stayed there and said, all right. And they, so they, when you, you can kind of speak to them, but they're, they're those apartheid people. We don't really right. want, you know, we don't want ugh, Afrikaners. It's so like, no one's learning Dutch. Okay. And as a small country, you step out of the wrong side of bed and suddenly you're in Germany or Belgium. And it's uh-huh. so, uh, yeah, we just... Uh, just some and, I, and I think in schools, they, they make you learn it too. But I didn't grow up in Holland. I'm, I'm cheating. No, because uh, you, you speak with this American accent. Because... Um, I mean, there's no trace of a Dutch accent in your voice, I think. Right. I think we arrived in... Uh, my family was in New York when I was three or four years old. And then they moved around after that parents got divorced suddenly had a brazilian stepfather so he didn't learn dutch how many how many stepfathers uh, one. Oh yeah but a, a brazilian a brazilian sorry i thought yeah. you said a gazillion a, a gazillion no we had a, <laughs> so many stepfathers my mom just kept marrying diplomats but right. uh, so uh, my father was a career brazilian. diplomat right right and then my stepfather's a brazilian diplomat so we were okay. never in our home countries well at one point we were in my stepfather's home country and that was that was brazil where i went to an american school right so you kept we just kept they kept my sister and i in the same relatively the same education system going from one international school to another sometimes it was called the international school of like brussels or the american school of the hague even when i was six months living actually in holland i went to an american school okay so wait a minute how many different places have you lived in then about like eight really so there's the usa there's uh, the netherlands i was born in paris by chance you were born in paris my my parents were here when i was born wow and i was so uh, um so there's uh, there's uh, Brazil as well and uh, so Belgium. Paris, Paris, Romania. My sister was born in Romania, and then we were in New York. Then my parents split up, and uh, my mother and stepfather and I and my sister went to Switzerland. My father went to India. So we would be shuttled between the mm-hmm. two. Basically, three or four months out of the year, we'd be in wherever my father was living, mm-hmm. and he'd be always in somewhere like India or Bangkok or something. So, right. just uh, you know. okay, bloody hell! Is that all and that's where the... English worked everywhere. So, until all your to all your listeners, English is the key. It's the you know maybe more people speak Mandarin, but they're not all over the place. So, did you did you actually grow up speaking uh, Dutch as a first language or English? English, uh, or well, sort of both. Both, yes. My, my, well, we kept the Dutch up by every now and then, every year, going back to Holland for vacation, seeing relatives. Mm-hmm. And then we were the cool kids from the states. Oh, I, even, yeah. I even convinced a cousin of mine that in America everybody gets to go to the moon. Like, what? You don't? You don't go to the moon? What the fuck? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? Like that was a normal thing, right? And uh, 
and, and, they, and there we spoke Dutch, and my grandmother would send us uh, cartoons in Dutch, comic books in Dutch, like Tintin and right. Asterix and Disney stuff. It was in Dutch, so we'd, we'd, we'd keep up the Dutch. Right. And I guess my mom must have talked to us along the way, but at home, we, around the table, we'd all... My stepfather didn't learn any, any Dutch. He so just it was other, English. So it was all English. We would speak English at home yeah. from a very young age. So I'm, I am not the right classic example of what to do when you learn English, but I do advise if you can go to these places where they speak English and spend time with people who speak English, that's really the, you know, the best thing, obviously. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people can't do that, so they have to kind of... Listen do to what, your podcast. Do, yeah, they have to listen to Luke's English podcast, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, but also the thing you were talking about before about uh, the sort of younger French generation yeah. who are now sort of connecting with English on the internet and using things like movies and Netflix and stuff and, I, and I, podcasts, you know. I saw a headline and in, in, in even adopting the English uh, internet jargon into French language. Like I saw a headline that said something like les comédienne or les rôles, something, some Hollywood roles or actresses who were les plus badass. And it just said, <laughs> the, whole, the whole sentence was in French. And then, I mean, it was BuzzFeed, France, but, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, I guess there's no word for badass in... Uh, yeah, I guess it's become one of those international words, isn't it? Badass. Mauvais cul. Or, it doesn't sound quite right. Mauvais fesse, no. It doesn't sound it's quite right. To go with badass. Badass. So, badass. So, so it's just, there's a, it seems to be a sort of internet English. Yeah. That is, um, you know, Inter, internet English. Uh, yeah, I don't know internetlish. I don't know what, it's, what in, it would be called. Nin, yeah, yeah, yeah. N- Nintendo. No, that's something else. Um, We're all one man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So uh, we know each other from doing comedy here in in Paris, which is not the largest comedy scene in the in Europe or anything. It's obviously a very small scene, uh, but you know, it's been sort of slowly kind of developing over the last five years or something. And, you know, we've got someone like Sugar Sammy here now, and he's performing in English. And Louis C.K. came here and did his stuff hey in English. And, <laughs> that was uh, Louis C.K. That was Louis C.K. in the background. Um, and so, you know, the scene is sort of coming along. So what, so what about stand-up then? How did you get into uh, doing stand-up here? Well, they let me. <laughs> that was the first. <laughs> Who's they? They. So, so at first there was one stand-up night. You, you remember it was yeah. Sebastian Marx's New York Comedy Night, and it was right. a, it was an open mic night, so you could go up there with your notes and just kind of try it out. Yeah. Then, then Rob, Rob Hain, Rob, Rob Hain came along. Yeah. You know, then it expanded, but I remember that the first time the first time I did it, it was it, it, it was that was it. It's one of those things you always think seeing stand up people do it. You think, God, I wish I could do that, and uh-huh. then and then later you think maybe I could do that. Yeah. And you find yourself standing around friends and saying something, and then suddenly everybody laughs. And you're like, "Wait, that's you, you guys like that? Yeah, I'm going to just write that down." And then suddenly you have a you have, I guess, material. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like I've been I've only been doing it for about how long? Have you been doing it here? I've, I've been doing it here for four years. Yeah, I think so. I think I started the first time about four, three, four years yeah, ago. Yeah, and it was like I, I, but I stood up in front of an audience and told jokes mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. in advertising, right? Because I'm. Um, by day, <laughs> yeah, comedian by night, and by advertiser, copywriter by day, and uh, on the creative side. So we sometimes have to go stand up in front of clients and present basically jokes in thirty seconds or a headline on a mm-hmm. on a poster or something, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't laugh because they either it wasn't you know they didn't like it and you're just but n- normally we, we were presenting something funny they they would have to meet amongst each other before or or the the younger clients wouldn't dare express right. themselves until the older client the yeah. more senior guy had 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 expressed what he felt so they're, they're all, like yeah they're also consulting each other like you tell a joke and they're like uh, so what did you think uh, was it funny what was the what was the punchline but not only uh, that they're not just there to see if it's funny They've got all sorts of other things on their mind, like market share and, right. you know, and, and sometimes the, the wife, I've had a client, the wife didn't like it in the end. You know, they had a meeting, it was, oh, yeah, okay, and then the wife didn't like it and came back, we've got to do it, do it right. over, because right. some superstition she had. Oh, it was like... Terrible yeah, audience. Uh, Imagine a stand-up audience like that. So, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, you tell your joke and they're like, is that funny? You know, calling their wives. Um, is it on strategy? Yeah, exactly. Is it going to speak What's, to our target. They're, they're thinking about other things. So it's been like, it was like I'd been doing stand-up in quicksand. Right. So when I went, went up there the first night on Sebastian's, first time on Sebastian's night, and I terrified, really. Yeah, really. But just told my first joke, everybody laughed. And then I realized that they'd actually come there to laugh. Yeah. And they maybe had a drink or two, 
and so suddenly I started doing stand-up. And, they, and then they, you get called back. and uh, Right. And so what, like how much material do you think you've got now after like three, half years, four years? Altogether, like yeah. maybe a, like really good stuff like that I'd, if I were to try to do it all maybe an hour. Yeah, brilliant. What no, kind of but stuff? I wouldn't be able to memorize it all in one go. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> I'd have to do like 10-minute bits and then cut. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really hard to remember the whole hour yeah. and to turn it into a story it's hard to remember 10 minutes <laughs> yeah it's hard to remember 10 minutes but imagine like going all the, over the whole hour and you've got to like sort of build it into a story and then have like a c- conclusion and a, a climax near the end you know that there has to be some sort of story over the whole hour yeah i like i like stories and, you, and so do you yeah I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You, were, you basically i gotta i gotta confess you, you were the guy that i was like okay i want i want two things i want to be a, as good as him and i want him to like me <laughs> you were the just the funniest guy still are by the way, uh, listeners, I don't know how modest he's been about this, but Luke is the, the funniest guy on the whole stand-up Paris scene in English, by the way. Wow, that's very, that's very flattering. So, well, uh, yeah, and I, didn't, and I didn't say that so he'll call me back on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, you were the guy we wanted to be as good yeah, as. And, really? uh, and I, well, I remember there was one bit, you, there were some things, because it was Sebastian Marx. I mean, I, I already had the comedians that I liked and had in mind, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously a lot of us have the same heroes in comedy. But you, you, I realized you did the same thing I did as opposed to some of the other comedians who tell jokes, who right. actually have a little setup. You feel the setup and there's a little twist at the end. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. good one. And it's like, good one. Yes. Yeah. And you and I do more of the storytelling kind where it is, it is a story. And, yeah. whole, and, and, and there's these sort of moments along the way that are funny. Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not even sure how they actually work. I've never <laughs> deconstructed them. Like, here's the setup. But there's always a setup and a punchline. Yeah, yeah. But it's, th- it's more like you create a world. And then you can just mm. keep making jokes in that world, but the audience understands yeah. the bizarreness of the world but it's to begin sort of with. like you have to set up a situation and the, the, the momentum of that situation just carries over into sort of jokes, you know? Right. Like it just, I don't know. It's well, if, you're, if your setup is a world, then mm. anything you say within that world becomes a punchline. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I think I'm thinking about how we do it. I think that seems to be what's going on I wouldn't but again we just tell these things that people have been laughing at yeah. and you try it out on stage and then, and, and then you do it you know a few times and you realize okay that works better if I do it this way and I came up with a, a routine about Star Wars that I did uh, like the other week and I, I'm not I'm not doing it on the podcast but I've been built I've been trying to write this thing and I've got about 10 minutes on, on Star Wars and uh, and I've managed to make it so it's not about Star Wars you know, oh, it's not. Really it's about clear. your family life back home that you left before you came yeah, to Paris. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about that sort of <laughs> thing. Explains why you're here. <laughs> um, anyway, oh, it's, it's really good. good. It's, it's you good set fun. up a world, and then, but it's it's okay. It's like okay, take my world when I was a kid, but I'm Luke Skywalker. Right. <laughs> yeah, I make I make fun of my upbringing and moving around in order to explain the whole I'm Dutch, but here's this is how I mm. talk. This is my accent thing, and I do the whole. I was actually part of a secret spy family. <laughs> That's right. You've got this, this bit about... Uh, Living in the United States, growing up in New York and Washington, where I actually did. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and, but our mission was to uh, stop the United States from developing good cheese. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was a mission successful, I think. Yes, yes. One of our most successful agents was a man called Kraft. It's, it's <laughs> worked out of Philadelphia. Right. <laughs> right. But I do this whole thing like uh, that we, we had these, like my sister and I had to uh, sleep with or seduce various government officials. My parents might have made a few disappear in order to get mm-hmm. certain laws passed that they right. had to be served in these individual slices. Right. The, the cheese. Yeah. And the Americans totally fell for that because of that whole individualism thing. <laughs> right. And uh, they had to be put in little body bags yeah. uh, because it's, it's dead. It's not right. real. Whereas, yeah. whereas French cheese, if you, you know, if you do a time lapse of it, it moves around. You can see it like having a discussion with the other cheese on the same <laughs> plate. It's just it's a got a, French cheese has got a consciousness, you know. Yeah, if you look away and you look back, it's moved. A good know. piece of French cheese has got a personality. <laughs> you know. each, each variety does. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Um, okay, so, so you talk about uh, being Dutch and uh, being a member of a spy family station. I try to get that out of the way. Yeah. Because I don't think that if I were to tell my actual life that it's, it's not funny, it's more like, wow. What, what do, what, <laughs> you know, it's like... But what do people uh, often think about the Dutch? You know, when they know... Nothing. You, what, they don't really know much about the Dutch. What do they know? 
Well, I, you know, it's the usual yeah. things, right? Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, like... We, it's the we stereotypes. Have this, this is... We do, the, we do the Great British American Comedy Night, uh-huh. which is in Paris, France. Yes. And every one of those countries has got something, you know? Right. I mean, the, the, the Americans went to the moon and mm-hmm. then drove a car around. I mean, who's, who's going to beat that, <laughs> right? <laughs> the British, they're so great. It says great in Great Britain. Yeah. They were so great they had to just Brexit the fuck out of here because we weren't because we're great too great because yeah. we're too great. But we're all speaking English because of them, so they got that. The French have their revolution that led to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and cheese for everybody. Right. But the Dutch, we got what? We got weed. Mm-hmm. Right? Ooh, that's the place where they can smoke weed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got some windmills. Windmills. No idea what a windmill actually does. Is that connected to the weed? I don't know. Is that like a filtration? Will mill the weed into that? Like I thought maybe it's like a filtration system for the whole country. I don't know. I don't know what actually what windmills. I guess they milled stuff. They milled. They 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 use the wind in order to mill. They don't teach us at a certain age how to run them. No, they don't work. Do they? They're not working anymore. I think think some do. Yeah, I imagine just for fun and might as well mill something while you're at it. So, so people think of like weed and windmills and uh, what tulips, bicycles, tulips. uh, You know, red light district. Red light. Yeah, the red light district. That's that's what I bring to the table. Okay. So I just uh, yeah. I mean, you're you're quite a good guy to have around at a party, to be honest. (laughs) You know, any good party will have a Dutch guy. In the corner, bringing all of those, all of this, such, just providing, yeah, all this. providing all of those things at a good party. Yeah, so that's yeah. not a bad. Uh, it's not a bad. No, place it's a good. It's a good passport to have because if ever there's a if ever there's a hostage situation, it's always women and children and Dutch people off the plane first. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody really cares about the Dutch. In France, they have a. I used to admit, when I first arrived at this ad agency where I was working, I was still we're still young enough where people where the other guys kind of fuck with you. They tease with they tease you, you know, and just mm-hmm. for hey new guy and everything. And all they had. My nickname for, for my last name is Van Walsam. The nickname was Van Houten. Van Houten? Yeah, Van Houten. Van Houten, which is, do you know this thing, this product? In, in France, it's a, it's, a, it's a chocolate powder. So that's, right. all, that's all they had on me. It was like, hey, guy from the country where the chocolate powder is from. He's a chocolate powder guy. Yeah, it's quite it was, cool. Yeah, I guess. But I they think don't, it's cool to be the chocolate powder guy. Yeah, hey, I, man, it's the chocolate powder guy. Yeah. Painters, though, people know that Holland has painters, had painters. Painters, you know? Van Gogh. Yeah, Van Gogh. <laughs> Van, it's actually the, even the first G is H, so it's Van Gogh. Van. <laughs> I'm so out of practice, I got to actually Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Can you speak some Dutch for us? Yeah, but what say I then? I don't know what I in this situation have to say. There are not enough words with G in it. What did you just say? I just basically said I don't know what to say in Dutch because, you know, what am I going to say? So. Okay. That was amazing. Yeah, there's a lot. It's yeah, it's uh, it's a strange. But so who can that, see? You know it's, what? That, you know, I, it's, it's like it's Klingon. So, it's so rare that I hear Dutch. It's Dothraki. I think more people speak Dothraki than Dutch. <laughs> yeah, it's so rare that I hear Dutch. I have to say it that it sounds like a language from Star Wars. <laughs> back to Star Wars. Always back to. You've got a picture of Darth Vader on the wall there. Yes. With, with framed. His, it's a framed picture of Darth Vader on Alex's kitchen wall, and. <laughs> it's signed. It's signed by Darth Vader. He's got a signed picture of Darth Vader on the wall. Yeah. In and a sometimes frame. people ask me, "Was that the real Darth Vader?" And yeah. I said, "What does it matter?" <laughs> how did how did you manage to get a signed picture of Darth Vader? Did it's that... not, it looks like something that I've still had since the seventies, but I, I I found it online in high resolution, and I sent it to this online framing company. I said, "Here, frame this thing," and they sent it to me. Okay, so it's actually a print. It's yeah, it's just a, it's, it's oh, not really signed, but it looks like it. Like but it someone is. out there on the internet uh, managed to get Darth Vader's signature. Exactly. So it might be the real one from the actor who played him, or some guy who's just standing around <laughs> for this event. <laughs> I mean, Would you like my signature? And it's not the signature of the actor. It actually says Darth Vader in a signatory, autography kind of way. It's like a celebrity signature. But it it's just like, says Darth Vader. You know, and it's, it's kind and of like... And it's diagonally across a can across I help corner. You? And it's like, can I have your signature, Mr. Vader? Oh. There you go, little Johnny. And then uh, it's kind of like a sort of... If Darth Vader was a celebrity, yes. that's what his signature would look like. It's, it's kind of like modern art in, in a way. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you some other things about... Uh, like uh, living as a, a Dutch person, you lived in America for a long time, you live mm. in France. Do you feel more European or more American? Well, I, I came to Paris definitely with a can-do attitude in a ce n'est pas possible culture. 
Right. What What do you mean by that? I remember that at work, I, no one had told me that I'm first supposed to say how hard it is going to be to do this thing they asked me to do. I just would say, okay, I'll do it. Because I thought, you know, growing up in the United States, going to American schools, yeah. even university, I thought that's that's what you got to do. So what, they, they give you a job? Yeah. And, and you go, sure, I'll do it. Yeah, whereas the French or the Parisians or places I worked in first had to go, oh, la, la, that's going to, you know, what's the deadline? Oh, that's going to be hard. You know, there's the weekend and the pont. And yeah. There, there, yeah. There's always something. But that, that's just their way of dealing with it. Right. It's like meditation for Parisians. Whereas in America, they'd be like, can you do this? Hey, Bob, can you do this job for me? And Bob's right. like, sure thing. Yeah. You got it. So I would always say yes and then figure out later how. So that was actually my secret weapon to any like success i had at work yeah. just i would just uh, kind of leap ahead by saying sure I'll, I'll do it that was uh that was one thing so i kind of came here with that american thing but then after a few years of frustration with i remember one time i went to uh, downstairs from the office this was before the internet you get you know this was just you had to go get a newspaper and i went downstairs to this press place where they had the international herald tribune mm-hmm. and newsweek sometimes things in english i wanted some media in english mm. And you go down at your lunchtime and you go to the place and it's closed because he's off at lunch. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this would be the most... And I, I saw him, I waited, you know, I did something else and went and had lunch myself and then went, see, went back to the place and I asked him, listen, because I was annoyed by it. I was like, dude, I couldn't understand it. I was like, dude, don't you, wouldn't you stay open during that hour? Yeah, that peak hour. So okay. that all those people, this was in Le Valois, you know, they had the, the, the new right. modern buildings, but they also had the old... Little village still mm-hmm. sort of there. And this was a part of that old mm. part. And I was like, yeah. don't you want to, all these people spilling out of those buildings at lunchtime to, 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 yeah, to a potential customers? And he says to me, Mais j'ai droit au déjeuner aussi. Hein? Mais droit, you know, I, I can. I was like, I can. I have, I'm, to, I, I have to have lunch as well. No, but it was droit. I have a right, right. to lunch as well. And I'm like, yeah. wow, that, that just. I could just trace that back all the way to the French Revolution. It's just some kind of a mentality with them. Mm-hmm. Or even Asterix and the Romans. It's just yeah. sort of a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of like holding on to your rights and sort of yeah. stand, standing up for your rights. And that was more... His right to have lunch was more important too. So after a while I started, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Mm-hmm. And then I read somewhere that the French work the least hours in the world of anyone. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's not a bad thing to be number one in. <laughs> unless you <laughs> own the company. Right. <laughs> but if you don't... If you're not... The boss, yeah, uh, and, and you're just you're working. Then any benefit like that in for in your favor, I can understand why you would be totally for that and not want to go do it the American way or or, or, right. or the British way. Right, why, right. why would you? So, and and if you've done business in the UK as well, yes. What, so, do you, what have you so noticed from the Brits? Adorable. Yeah, really. With the complete capability of just doing the complete opposite thing afterwards <laughs> right everything is love right i mean it's like yeah sure we fabulous can yeah, yeah yeah it's fine yeah go, great sounds brilliant sounds good yeah and then we're like uh actually i'm not sure we can do that like, no oh, but very very professional very uh just a whole other level get things done they're, they're very good i love working with them pragmatic yeah it's no it's great it's like, right let's get down to business yeah and um no it, 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 it's great but when they, and then afterwards when we when we go to the pubs and things or even just at work and we talk about the continent, they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they, would, they would say the way they talk about Europe is like it's another place. They're like, so how are things over in Europe? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was even before, way before any of this Brexit stuff. It was just, uh, just, they just saw us as a different place. Yes, it's always been like that. It's, it's always been very much a relationship where we are separate from the rest of Europe because of that geographical thing. And so it's just... And also the Second World War reinforced it as well mm-hmm. because, you know, there was that Battle of Britain and we never got invaded and so we were, like, cut off from the mainland. And, you know, stuff like... It's just just enough distance and also there's the Norman invasion and, and other things. Um, and so, yeah, we've always physically been separate. And so the question of whether Britain is part of Europe is really uh, one about ideas you know, it, it completely is, a, is about the concept of what Europe means to you and whether or not you want to be a part of it. And that kind of determines how a lot of people feel about all of the other issues. So if they just basically don't really want to be part of Europe, then they'll just make up their mind that 
Europe, the European Union is like full of all these laws and it's 75% of laws and all our money goes to it and it's undemocratic and stuff. It's just going to inform all of your opinions. And then because of that confirmation bias of like, if that's your opinion, every bit of information, you will consume it to support your opinion because it can be basically taken in a number of ways and you're just con constantly confirming the thing you believe in. Uh, in both directions, probably. So, but, you know, I tend to agree with the idea that we should be part of Europe and that Brexit's a bit of a dangerous mistake that's not potentially going to pay off for us for, for a long time. And, you know, it could hurt communities like Sunderland, for example, where there's a big Nissan factory. If they pull out of of uh, of Sunderland then you know thousands of jobs are going to be lost and yet in Sunderland they they were one of the first places to vote uh, out uh, you know mm -hmm. they, they voted leave but it's you know it could potentially really be bad for them you know very weird decision making so but I, I don't agree I think that we should be part of it there's a, there's a sign of their reluctance to be part of it when you take the Eurostar uh -huh. and you go train, through a, the train. The train, right? The Eurostar is a train that goes through the Channel Tunnel. It's very convenient. Mm -hmm. You can get from Paris to London two two hours and sixteen minutes or something. Yeah. And you, so you go, and and but but Europe is not. Uh, sorry, uh, Britain is not part of Schengen, the thing where, with the open borders between European countries. Mm -hmm. So you show your passport when you leave France, which is a normal thing. You just kind of wave it at them. They see it's a European passport, and you yeah. leave. Yeah. They, sometimes they flip it open and go, oh, okay, there it is. It's valid. Mm -hmm. And then you do, you walk 10 meters and there's another, <laughs> like you've just teleported across. Yeah. There's another setup with two more border guys mm -hmm. and they're British yeah. with their whole British uniform, the British typeface. Yeah. It's like, all right, mate, all right, mate, you're in Britain now. And Give they, us your passport. And they, they, so they put the passport control in France rather than, than on the island itself, which yeah. I think says a lot. We've got, we've, got, we've got like a front in Calais, because you know uh, the Hundred Years' War? Right. Uh, that ended. You know how that ended? It ended when uh, Britain, England had to retreat to Calais. And I think the war was decided by whoever got Calais. You know, the, whoever got Calais lost the war, because like Calais is a bit... It's not exactly the best part of France. So, it's kind of like, you know, whoever ended up with Calais was the loser. And, I, and that's what happened to England. I still like, feel like we've got like a little front there with like guys behind tables or something, <laughs> you know, right. just there in Calais. I don't know quite. It's, but, but it's a dodgy area now because, you know, there's lots of uh, camps of uh, migrants, you know, waiting to try and get into the UK. And it's like, I don't know. I just, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. But I mean, uh, it's, again, it's another example of like, keep it all. Off our island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, like dogs. They, they, they still have the quarantine thing? Where, oh, uh, where animals? If you yeah. bring animals? I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose yeah. so. And, you know, a lot of people were concerned about the Channel Tunnel, you know, bringing... Did, were we talking yeah, about... Yeah, we're, we're talking about that. How they, about they set up that humans can go through, but not a single rodent. Right. <laughs> they right, yeah. tried to reassure the public when they opened it. Yeah. And there's this fear of rabies. Yeah, that's right. Which I understand that if, you, if rabies was a problem and Britain managed to eradicate it, Mm -hmm. that then you wouldn't want to do everything you can to not bring it back, especially you know, yeah. rabid, rabid dogs. But the impression they might have is that the continent is just full of rabies. with rabies. It's full of rabies. It's, it's just ra rabid dogs on every corner. You right, know, it's, it's, not even, like... it's not even an occasional <laughs> thing. Like, oh my God, we found a rabid dog in Paris. It never... No, it's just everywhere, you know. Yeah. You know, the armored cars on no, the way to no, work. That's not a, no, not no. a thing. Yes, it's, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's bizarre, that. Okay. I was yeah. going to ask you about uh, uh, working in France again. All right, so the language thing with uh, doing business in France is when I see the uh, Americans and the French or in, any English-speaking people with the French, the French tend to, because there's so many words that are similar Mm -hmm. They tend to just sort of go, and I, I, and I admire them for it. They just go ahead and they speak that English and they just use those words like what we call a faux ami. Mm -hmm. Right. How would you explain yeah, a faux yeah, ami? Yeah, false, false friends. False friends. Like these, these words are, they look the same, but they have different meanings. And like, for example, militant, mm -hmm. militant. Yeah. Like a French person can be really militant about getting your business. Right. Right. They'll say that at a yeah. meeting. I'm, I'm very militant about getting your, you know, working for you. Right. They don't realize but the violence. That, that, to that an that American, suggests. 
militant is ISIS. Militant right. is just a paramilitary <laughs> people with Kalashnikovs and everything. So there's words like, like that. A Toyota pickup truck. Yeah, and, and militant. Exactly. It's not militant, you know. But they, you can have militant French protesters can be militant. Right. I see. But they're not militarized. They're not driving around in in like light blue Toyota pickup trucks with yeah. uh, rocket launchers. So I sometimes wonder how and and in all these misunderstandings that they have because and it's, and it's the same the other way too. The Americans will say when they speak a bit of French, they'll throw, mm-hmm. throw in those words that sound the same. So I've often wondered how many billions of dollars and euros have been lost by misunderstandings in meetings. Yeah. Where they, <laughs> they have, I don't want to work with these people because of some someone who didn't learn the English enough yes. through Luke's English podcast. Did you know that uh, uh, the, the French, when they write numbers, right? Right. Like if you write 10,000 in French, you do 10 comma right. zero 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 dot no oh uh, yeah 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 exactly the no, no, dots no, 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 are wait, commas no, 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 it's, it's yeah yeah wait a minute Ten, they, they put a dot instead of a comma where yeah. we would put a comma they, they put, put a dot a decimal it. period dot yeah 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 whatever you know where? yeah yeah that's it yeah so again how many billions well millions at least three no thousands well, well three yeah lots of money lots. in any case it's, so this, it's a large yeah, yeah. amount of, of money yeah because like wait a minute how do you how do you write uh, ten thousand in f- as a French person, 10.000. And then to make things even confusing, a comma, comma zero, 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 zero. Exactly. Whereas, the, you know, in, in English, it's like 10, comma, zero, 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 dot, zero, zero. So it's like wildly different number hmm. in, in both cases. Like this ridiculously different number. One sort of faulty looking uh, uh, low number and <laughs> a huge number. You right. Know? right. <laughs> um, yeah difference what about customer service right because um in japan for example uh the the customer is god in japan right and you get like this incredible service they bow to you when they give you your shopping uh when they give you the change they hold their hand under your hand so that if any coins drop they can catch them and it's like very very respectful when you walk into the store everyone in the shop welcomes you to the yeah. store you know right with this sound this i don't know what they say but every time you walk into a big shop, it's like, Shazen! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so it's amazing. The, the customer is God. But in France, it's, it's kind of different, right? I wonder if Japanese tourists sort of find it difficult sometimes adjusting to the, the cultural difference. Because I feel like they're almost completely opposite in some ways, Japan and France. A sense that there's you know, a huge difference. What about customer service in, in France, in your opinion? I think the French sometimes confuse service with servitude. Mm-hmm. They're worried that you know if they extend too much service, it, it, there's there's some they're somehow losing status or something. Mm-hmm. But there's also a an American British customer is king kind of customer service that they, that they come here and expect. And I've seen this happen where. Amer- like Americans come. Yeah, where, where Americans come to uh, walk into a place like the bar we were in downstairs, which is a very authentic French thing, mostly French people, some locals and everything. Mm-hmm. And the uh, person behind the bar is French. And there was used to be a much grumpier old lady mm-hmm. uh, behind the bar, and she just refused service to people, Americans, who would come in and not say bonjour, monsieur, or madame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the key. That's all you have to do. Once exactly. you do that, you, they'll give you free drinks yeah. at one point. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you just come yeah. in and just get that right, and everything's fine. Yeah. But a lot of Americans go in, or Brits, go in with maybe high, yeah. or, or, or not just, even. Well, they, that, want, they wander they, in, what Brits would do. They'd wander in and say, um, hello, good evening, two, table for two. Can yeah. we have a table for two, dinner? Can we eat? Can we eat dinner? Yes. Well, well the, that's a, that still might get you a better service because at least you went with good evening. Yeah, I suppose. Whereas, but you know, it has to be the French. Bonsoir, bonjour. And especially monsieur or madame, that's, that's where you get the free mm, drinks. Right, that's just sort of a, right. that just sets you apart from the, a few extra syllables and you're set apart. But Americans, I sometimes see them walk into a place and it's not their fault because they're conditioned by this in those places where mm-hmm. you walk into a place and there's pictures of the food and even good places, but you like you go out, you walk yeah. up to the counter. Yeah. And there's a word, it's like a compound word, I, I call it, can I get a... Yeah, can I get a, yeah. Can I get a, that's, right. that's not a, so I'm telling all, yeah. your, all, your, all your, if you hear this in popular culture, people, and your listeners, don't, don't say, can I get a, right. and, and probably not in Japan either, it's just, 
And if you just walk in and say, can I get uh, two pints or whatever? Or can I a, get a Coke? And can I get a without, hamburger? Without fries? the hello, bonjour. And it's, and it's not even, there's, there's a, it's weird. It's hard to explain, but there's, you, got, you got to say, bonjour, monsieur, bonjour, whichever, whichever one applies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They'll say the same thing. They'll reply. Mm-hmm. And then you got to wait a beat. And they'll say, what can I do for you? Or je vous écoute, which is, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. It's so <laughs> they, cool. That's so cool. I'm listening. Or they just, uh, yeah, they just, it's, it's, but no, no, usually if you go in with the whole monsieur, madame thing, and then you're ready, and they, qu'est-ce que je peux faire pour vous, whatever, suddenly you're in, and it might take a little bit more time, but then the whole rest of the exchange is just, is much more um, smooth and yeah, it's, uh, and And it's that, that can I get is to be avoided. You can't just yeah. go in and. And, uh, and, and, but, and because they go in, and, and sometimes they make, they'll think, well, I'm going to go take my business elsewhere. I'm like, where? <laughs> You're going to go mm-hmm. somewhere else, it's going to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it's, uh, and I just figure, somehow we come here, and I felt it, I felt it for years, I was like, that they're doing it wrong. Uh-huh, so it can feel. But we're from that whole new culture, that whole customer is king thing, that's someone at headquarters who decided, okay, guys, customer is king, and then everybody started doing it, but it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not a natural law. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's how... You know, like French people, they, they kind of meet like, I imagine old, like Stone Age tribes would, would <laughs> encounter each other with a certain, certain like, okay, who are you guys? You know, it's not like, hi, have a nice day right a away. A formality level. Yeah, just so sort of like, uh, a who, business are, like... Who, are, who are these guys? <laughs> yes. Are they going to kill us? Who's going to evolve? What's the, you know, what's all, the... Everything's on sort of diplomatic tender yeah. hooks. Yeah. Kind of, uh... and, and I figure they have a, you know, have a longer life expectancy here. This whole kissing thing that they, they do after a while like, you have to kiss men in France after what is it they, we decided we came down to I think Paul Taylor came down to, to six, six months is the thing yeah I guess yeah so after six months if you get along with a French friend uh, and French friendships always just, they just get better it's, you know, it just always starts kind of like when dogs meet and it's all kind of and then they and they kind of sniff each other out, and then as you're just rolling around, friends for life. So you, so you're after six months, you they suddenly he'll lean in and give you a kiss on the cheeks. Don't freak out. Don't panic. Don't, don't freak panic. Out. I just figure that's okay. And I, you know what? That's kind of sweet. And I guess that whatever whatever uh, a country has been doing or a city has been doing for two thousand years and another ten thousand years of people living here who didn't even know they were Parisians yet. Yeah. If they've been kissing on the cheeks, maybe it's some kind of immunosystem boosting thing that yeah. helps us live longer along maybe. with the wine and the soft cheeses and whatever else is yeah don't I figure, question it i figured maybe they're doing it right rather than eating you know food with our hands from can i get a places yeah like craft cheese slices individually yeah, yeah. wrapped as we were <laughs> right. talking about exactly. earlier maybe, on maybe they're doing it right and we're so we so i i, I kind of came here with that whole you guys are doing it wrong but actually maybe uh yeah in in your stand up you do this bit about how you how you deal with a problem in a in a sort of French customer service situation? I think it's my favourite uh, bit <laughs> that you do, uh, um, and it's just it's just that idea of like when you go in. Let's say you go into a place like I have it in the post office near where I live. So the post office in Pigalle, right, which right. is like near the Moulin Rouge, um, and I, that's the that's in my opinion, the worst of the area. I don't know why, but it just... I think half your audience just went, oh, Moulin yeah, Rouge. No, yeah, 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 wow. You go to the Moulin Rouge, walk by it every day? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I live near the Moulin Rouge, that's right. Uh, and um, uh, so what was I saying? I was saying... Sorry, that, going to the post office? Going there? to the post office, and it's, it's always like a problem. There's always just this incredible atmosphere in there, and it's always moody, and, and you go in and like, I get the impression that the staff are basically just saying no to every person who comes up. They're like, you know, that thing. And that's what you talk about of how you break down that kind of uh, treatment that you get sometimes, which is where the first encounter is quite sort of difficult. And then there's a whole other stage after it. And there's a way of unlocking (laughs) <laughs> unlocking the French right sort of French get, whispering <laughs> French French whispering exactly like the horse whisperer that, right, uh, right. the Robert Redford uh, film so French whispering yeah. I should name this podcast French whispering with uh, Alexander Van Walsen <laughs> that should be the name of okay. your, your one man show if you, if you do one alright the French whisperer <laughs> I thought of that yeah yeah um, so uh, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a very good bit what's the key to unlocking a French person when they say it's not possible give it a second yeah. Sometimes it just means it's not possible for him at that moment right there. Right. Then you 
make a bit of a French face and go, oh, pas possible. Mm. Show some, I guess, complicity. Try to create complicity. Mm -hmm. Just give it a second. Yeah. Like, oh, that's difficult. And then he might say, normalement, fais pas ça. Mm -hmm. Normalement. No, normally, we wouldn't do this. And you're like, ooh. And then you go, oh, oh you know, more French face and yeah. kind of, uh, yeah, wow. Because it's so pas possible, right? This, yeah, I totally understand. Yeah, yeah. And then they might, the next level is, je vais voir ce que je peux faire. Ah. Okay, I'm going to see what I can do. Ah. You're thinking, hello? And then eventually, you know, there's a few more steps. Maybe goes to the computer. Yeah. Looks at the screen, looks totally pas possible on the screen. <laughs> That's, that's the bit that I like, I have to say. This is the, when you start talking about... Uh, the manager? Yeah. There's a manager, got to talk to the manager. He's got, turns around, he's got just years of better possibility on his face. <laughs> but eventually, uh, eventually you get it. It comes up, comes back, and he says, uh, you know, exceptionally, exceptionnellement, mm -hmm. you get what you came for, plus the free cheese we were talking about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, great. And that's at the post office. They get free Even cheese. at the post office. They have a little fridge in the back where they... Well, actually, no, it's not even a fridge because it's, it's, it's under that glass dome. So it can right. be just at the right... Yeah, the perfect gooey, optimal temperature. temperature. Yeah, that's right. It's that dome of cheese <laughs> that you have. Not, they don't have cheese domes at the, the post office, but uh, they could. You know, I don't think anyone would complain. But they, but they have a lot of other stuff at the post office. Yeah, they like banking and like all sorts of you know. It's a weird thing. There's two things, and it's open later. There's like the the taba, mm. which for some reason you can get all sorts of other things like metro tickets and stamps for official things. Yeah, and then yeah, there's yeah. the post office. They're like, sort of. They're actually quite good. Like yeah. when you a good post office in Paris is like decent. You know, the, a good, well-run, tightly-run post office yeah. in the heart of uh, Paris yeah. somewhere. You know, it's like you can go down there, get something done, send a package. Yeah. Send a package today with the post office. Yeah. But not the one that I go to, where everything's oh, okay. just like, no, uh, no. No, but to our, to our American listeners, uh, well, no, they already speak English. So I guess yeah, not. they do. But anyone, no, I, anyone, have, I do have listeners in, in America. But some living over there, there, there's a national sort of making fun of the post office thing. Mm -hmm. It's just like the worst place in, in, in American pop culture. Yeah, really? If you work there, you're certain, you know, it's like the DMV. What's the, what's the Department of Motor Vehicles? Oh yeah, and and the post office. It's often often the, the butts of references and comedians joke. Oh, I had to go down to the DMV, and everybody knows what that means. Right. You know, I went to the post office, and like, oh, there's like. But <laughs> it seems there's more respect for the post office in in, in Paris. It's like a yeah. real it's like a real job. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess we should uh, wrap up this conversation then. Um, yeah. how, right. how do you feel? At this stage in proceedings, we've been talking for about 50 minutes. Awesome. How's it, uh, has it gone being, being on Luke's English podcast? How I, has I, it been? I hope it went well. Yeah. For a first podcast, it was fun to uh, yeah, talk with you as usual. It felt like we were just talking like we usually do and to other people at the same time. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, good. Are you on stage soon? Uh, this weekend at the Great British American Comedy Night, hosting oh, yes. it. Yeah. Oh, you're this hosting? Saturday. Okay. Where, yeah. where is that then? That's at the Sojimnaz Comedy Club. Yeah. Okay. Boulevard Bon Nouvelle uh, at uh, at the uh, just right by the Bon Nouvelle Metro. Mm -hmm, that's it's right. In that big building, the Théâtre du Gymnase. Go enter to the left, four flights up, and we're actually in the little attic of the gymnase. Yes, yeah, not not the main theatre. The, no, the, no. The no. building itself is like this beautiful grand old theatre with like whole holds. I don't yes. know how many people, like four hundred people or something. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, upstairs, there's like this little sort of uh, not a uh, little sort of attic room. Yeah, holds about sixty people. I think yeah, the maximum with all the little stools was one seventy-five or something. Seventy-five, standing yeah. room only kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know where the Jamel comedy club is for any Parisians mm -hmm. living here the, the Jamel comedy club is this place right next door where the, there's a big line for people usually waiting to get in <laughs> our place is the one where there's no line so <laughs> <laughs> that's right come check it out it's next to the most successful stand-up comedy yeah. venue in in town and especially come see Luke he's uh, it's it's really good yeah well um, looking forward to seeing you again on stage soon Alex thank you very much for coming on the podcast thank you it's been a lot of fun to have you on I'm very glad that uh, this has been your first ever podcast <laughs> and uh, I hope that uh, you should do your own. You should start your own podcast. Okay. You know, and teach them. No, you could just yeah, do some French, just French talk, whispering. Talk, yeah, just do the, the French whisperer oh, podcast. Yeah, right, right. How, to, how to survive French culture, like a 10 part series. Oh, that oh. would do very well. Hmm. You should think about it. Uh, sounds like a good idea. Okay. All right. All right. Cheers. Thank you.
Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 So that was Alex Van Walsam. And uh, that was good fun, that episode. I really enjoyed it. It was nice to sit down with Alex and kind of uh, pick his brains about all of the things you heard about, essentially. I mean, he's lived in so many different places and he's got experience of so many different cultures that uh, he's very worldly, you know. And so uh, he's got lots of things to say. If you're in the Paris area, um, you can see Alex on stage doing stand-up comedy in English. He's a regular performer in the on the Paris scene at the usual places, you know, like at the Pan Am Art Café, the So Gymnase, uh, and various other places. Um, so that's pretty much it. I look forward to reading any comments that you have or responses or questions or whatever on the page for this episode. But that's that's enough for this one. Thanks for listening. And I'll speak to you again soon. Okay, then. Good. All right, then. I'm going to say goodbye now, and uh, I'm going to do it using my voice, which is the thing I'm using to, to talk to you, uh, right here at the end of the episode. 50, 50 minutes. 50 minutes of podcast. It's good, isn't it? It's a good round number. Yes, it is. All right, then. Thanks for listening again. Shall I keep going? No, I won't. I'm just going to say goodbye. So here it is. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.